Welcome to P3 Radio. The monkey only dances as good as the guy grinding the organ handle. Demolition! We're coming for you, baby! <laughs> that was my moment of I carried a watermelon. And uh, you're going to call me back tomorrow or whatever. I mean, you better believe I took my turn a little bit. <laughs> what? Cool story, bro. PG3 Radio. Nope. Here's your host, Josh Friday. Ladies and gentlemen, next up we have crying little blind children. Richard Mulliken. I don't know. Is this making any sense to anybody out there? It's showtime! It's showtime! It's showtime! Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to another episode of P3 Radio. I'm Richard Mulliken, joined by my co-host and best friend, Josh Briley. Say hey, Josh. Well... If you're going to wrestle in Texas, you got to have Tom Pritchard in the band. Today, we got Dr. Tom Pritchard on the hotline. Yeah, we're excited to have Dr. Tom with us. We're going to have that interview up next after a word from Score Big. Score Big is the leading online marketplace for tickets to sports, concerts, theater, and family events. ScoreBig allows you to purchase last-minute tickets to sold-out events. Also, the latest on sales of popular artists, teams, and productions. They'll get you in. They safeguard your transaction with a 100% money-back guarantee under a secure checkout with interactive seat maps to guide your purchase. And whether it's an Atlanta Braves game, Metallica concert, or a WWE event, they've got you covered. Book your seats now at tinyurl.com slash p3events. That's tinyurl.com slash p3events. He speaks fluent Klingon. Backwards. The best story he's ever told was to himself. Of the two women he slept with in his life, one fell asleep, the other thought he was someone else. Dogs take him for walks. He is the world's most semi-interesting man. I don't often smoke, but when I do, I only choose Vista Vapors. Visit them today at tinyurl.com slash p3vista. Keep it flavorful, my friends. Right now on the P3 Radio Hotline is former WWF Tag Team Champion, and he has wrestled all over the place. He's also a wrestling trainer that trained the likes of Kurt Angle, The Rock, Mark Henry, and many others. Please welcome to the show, Dr. Tom Pritchard. Dr. Tom, we are honored to have you here today on P3 Radio. Well, it's an honor to be here today. Thank you for asking me. I'm always looking forward to talking to, new, to a lot of people and meeting new friends, man. Well, we are psyched to have you. You know, of course, we followed the Memphis Territory very closely because of Josh's uncle, 
you know, and we we watched Memphis. So we we pretty much followed your career along with following Danny Davis's career. <laughs> well, yeah, man. I mean, uh, Danny Davis not not only one half of the nightmares, but he was a uh, uh, a great wrestling trainer in his own right. And of course, Danny and I have been friends for many many years. So uh, uh, fantastic, man. Yeah, Danny's a very good friend of mine. As a matter of fact, as we were speaking this very day on Saturday, the uh, 30th of uh, June, you do know it's Danny's birthday, right? Oh, yes. Most definitely. (laughs) The family's been sending me pictures and, oh, look at this, look at that. I'm just, I'm so happy for him. At 66 today. Wow. Right, 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 right. Well, he's having a good time, no doubt. Oh, more (laughs) than likely. He's down there in Florida now, living it up. Living it up. Well, yes, he is. I think in uh, St. Pete. Yeah, 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 having a good time. Well, you know, speaking of training and OVW and uh, Danny and all of that, we, we we hate to start on such a somber note, but we we didn't have this in our original questions. But you know, the wrestling world kind of got hit with a a shock yesterday uh, with Matt Capitelli uh, passing away, mm-hmm. losing his battle to cancer. And I tell you, uh, this guy was just he he was just he had the look. You know, I didn't know him personally, but he seemed like a nice kid. Did you have any interactions with Matt? And if so, what was that, what was those like? Yeah, no, I knew Matt when he first came to OVW, and I knew Matt right after he won Tough Enough. Uh, he was a great guy, great uh, trainer, uh, trainee, and I believe he helped train some of the guys also later on in OVW. He's the, uh, I even wrote it on Twitter that he was uh, somebody that you would want to strive to be like. He was passionate about uh, professional wrestling. Uh, he was dedicated, and uh, there wasn't anything he wouldn't do to get better. Uh, so, yeah, it is a tragic, a tragic occurrence, but uh, that happens. Matt was a good, good, good guy, and uh, a pleasure to be around. Well, we'll we'll move right into more accolades from from your career, uh, and we're going to try to ask you questions. We know you're, we've probably gotten these a hundred times, and we apologize in advance. So, uh, but we'll try to ask them in a different way if we can. But. Uh, question that you've probably gotten a lot where did the dr tom name come from i I think i've read it in a book once but what where did it come from on your side of the things uh well robert fuller was the booker in alabama and uh he and jimmy golden were uh wrestling as tag team and uh uh there was a guy happened to be hanging around friend of roberts and uh he wanted to do an angle uh on birmingham tv and uh, so one Monday night, uh, it was uh, Robert and Jimmy, Robert Fuller, Jimmy Golden against uh, Tommy and Johnny Rich. And they brought this guy to uh, ringside, or actually, yeah, they brought the guy to ringside with him. And uh, at the end of the match, they tied up uh, Tommy's uh, feet to the bottom rope with, with uh, athletic tape. And beat the holy hell out of Johnny. Just, uh, there was blood everywhere. And then they came on to the interviews. They came up to the stage with Gordon Soley um, and said, uh, All right, we're going to introduce you to our doctor now, our cut man. He's Dr. Love. He's going to be on our corner from now on. And, and these rich cousins uh, aren't going to get a chance to, to cut our pretty faces and, and mess our pretty faces up. So there's a hell of an angle that shows the next Saturday. And, uh, I think on Sunday, uh, Robert gets a call from uh, the FBI and says, hey, we've been looking for this guy uh, who who was on your TV and wanted to know where he was. And uh, Robert said, oh, well, he's just one of those guys who kind of came in and uh, 
uh, on a Monday night, and we just used him just one night. We don't know who he is, where he was. We just kind of used him for that one thing, and that's it. So I was riding with Jimmy uh, for a while, and I used to have pants where I broke my ankle in uh, Louisville, actually, with Stan Lane. Came over and knocked me off the apron. I broke my ankle, and I uh, wound up with my Sherry Martell and her roommate, Tina, who was a nurse, and she gave me these doctor pants, doctor scrubs, and I happened to be wearing those when I was riding with Robert and Jimmy the next week. And uh, Robert was lamenting the fact that uh, he had to scrap the angle and didn't know what to do, and we stopped to get a drink, and as I got out of the van, he just happened to notice they had these scrubs on. He goes, well, hot damn, boy, you can be our doctor. <laughs> and from there on, uh, on the way back, or on the way to uh, whatever town we were headed to that day, probably Panama City, uh, we, we talked about various things. How, how we could talk about me being a, becoming their doctor. And, and one of the things we said, uh, you know, I, I, we can tell everybody that I was going to study at Baylor University and be, be a real doctor, except that I just spent a little too much time at the pharmacy. We laughed about that, but he actually said that on the promo. So it just happened to be that uh, a fellow wanted by the FBI was going to be their cut man, and when he made his debut, the FBI happened to be watching. And they didn't realize how, how, how much heat he had on him until then. So it was uh, just being at the right place at the right time, actually, and that's how I became a doctor. Wow, that's that's crazy to think that the FBI is watching territories at the time, but any 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 idea why the FBI was after the guy? Yeah, I have an idea. I just don't think I want to talk about oh, it. Oh, that's uh, fine. <laughs> yeah, he was, uh, yeah, he was, uh, he was probably, let's say he was distribu- distributing, distributing, uh, or distributing, how do you want to say, <laughs> distributing um, the substance ah. around the South. Yeah. Gotcha. I think he had, but yeah. He's Fair, well enough. Enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Well, what would you say, What what is the first territory that, you begin your career in? Uh, I actually uh, started part-time in Texas and uh, went to Louisiana and the Arkansas Territory, but the first full-time territory was actually Los Angeles, California for Mike LaBelle, and Chavo Guerrero was the uh, booker at that time. So uh, Los Angeles holds a very special place in my heart. Awesome, awesome. But that's uh, Mike and Gene LaBelle. The brothers, were they promoting that area together at that time? Uh, it was pretty. It was pretty much Mike LaBelle, and they had uh, different uh, local promoters, obviously around Bakersfield and San Jose and uh, San Bernardino and things like that. But it was uh, Gene LaBelle was still there, but Mike was pretty much doing uh, uh, the majority of the promotion. Gene was an announcer and uh, uh, kind of hanging around. Awesome. Um, well, do you have any good stories about uh, working in Portland for Don Owen? Ah uh, well, as a matter of fact, that's where I met uh, uh, Bart or Brett Sawyer. Excuse me, I was going to say Bart Sawyer, Brett Sawyer, Buzz Sawyer's uh, brother, and uh, I hope I got with Mondo Guerrero in Portland, Oregon too. I, you know, everywhere I went, I had had a really, really good time. But Portland um, was one of those places that all you had to do um, was show up, do your job, and uh, enjoy the rest of the time you had off. I mean, we were working anywhere from six to seven days a week, and uh, I got to know Don Owen pretty good and Elton Owen and uh, Barry Owen, and they were all very, very good people. Um, 
As far as stories, once again, I don't know if the statute of limitations are up yet, so I, I kind of <laughs> have to keep that to myself. But yeah, we had a good time. And I lived in the, the bomber, uh, which was like a little complex. All the boys lived that. And, um, man, that was 1985, I believe. And I was, uh, you know, just still getting my feet wet and, you know, in my fifth year in the business. And uh, everything and anything was available to the young guy back then. And I got to tell you, I tasted uh, all the fruit, man. Everything was out there that was put in front of me. I, I couldn't say no. So uh, there was a lot of things we did in Portland that was uh, – a really good time. Matt Bourne, Rip Oliver, Stan Stasiak, wow. uh, guys like that kind of helped me along. Well, you said the Bomber. Is that the famous hotel that all the guys talk about that actually had the the legit like Bomber from World War II in the middle of it or yeah. something like that? Yes, it was the Art Lacey Bomber. They had a restaurant. They had a... Uh, uh, the bomber, I don't know if it was the one that Art actually flew, but they had a bomber over the uh, gas uh, pumps. They had a gas pump, everything right in front of this place, man. It was just a, a classic, furnished, uh, gosh, about 20 or 25 uh, building, a little, little, little apartments, man. And, and it was great for guys who... Uh, uh, just wanted to come in and you know pay the monthly rent, and not have to and not have to worry about anything else. And they had a TV, couch, bed, and the whole thing. Again, for a young guy, uh, single, and having a good time, that was that was the place to be. It was. They had a they had a lot of stuff going on there. <laughs> Sweet. Well, um, from there, it wasn't long after you moved on to Continental and. You had a legendary feud with the Dirty White Boy. And this feud, it got so intense that at one point, the Dirty White Boy handcuffed your hands behind your back and hung you up from your neck, you know, from the ring post. Did did you guys, did you guys or the company get any blowback from that segment? Well, the, the thing about that was uh, we, we didn't get any... Uh, Nobody really told us uh, there was any heat, but we kind of felt it. Um, uh, I, I guess uh, <laughs> we felt it going into it um, because uh, you know we could tell that it, that it was a little strong. Uh, but nobody came to us and said, "Hey, man, this was uh, a little too much." Right. And uh, the thing about that, too, was we didn't get to rehearse it. We Back then, we didn't rehearse things. We just pretty much talked about it um, and talked about what we were going to do. But as soon as he put the uh, noose around my neck uh, and started pulling me down to the ring, um, it tightened up. And there was no uh, there was no way to tell him because my hands were behind my back. Oh. But, I mean, it was just uh, I was actually choking. You know, he's pretty much cutting off my ear as, as he did that. So I just had to pretty much bear with it. And if I died, I died again, you know. Wow. So, uh, well, you know, being, that, that was, huh? being six years old yeah. at the time and seeing that angle, I legit thought for at least a few years that the dirty white boy tried to murder you on, you know, continental TV. Right. I mean, it, it was super intense. Yeah. And here's the question, too. 
how bad when did you actually think that okay i might be in some danger here did you actually think this might actually be the end when you started losing you know uh your oxygen there you know here's the here's the part about this that a lot of people may not understand is no i i was pretty much uh uh no, I, I never never thought this could be the end, although it very well could have been because he didn't know and he wasn't doing anything really uh, right. uh, anything more than we talked about. So when it was happening, I was about to black out. No, I just figured, uh, well, if I black out, hopefully somebody will come and see it. Uh, and, and as strange as that may sound, I mean, that's pretty much the way we felt back then. You have to understand, too, that, that it was a different business at that time. And I agree at six years old, you know, I saw stuff like that when I was a kid in El Paso. You know, I saw it with uh, the Funk Brothers and the Von Air, uh, not Von Air, the Von Bronners and the Infernos. You know, guys like though that back then, they did it um, to make people believe. And that's pretty much what we were trying to do, too. And that's that was the mindset back then. We wanted everybody to at least believe what we were doing. And in order to believe it, you know, we had to believe it. So um, uh, did I have any fear? No. Did I, did I feel the pain and agony of choking to death or choking pretty close to passing out? Yeah. But that's just part of it, man. And it's part of the things that uh, we all accepted it all uh pretty much knew it was going to happen. I mean, nobody begged us to get into professional wrestling. That's what we wanted to do. So we were willing to do what we had to do to uh, make it believable and real. Most definitely. Well, the old saying is it ain't ballet, you know? Yeah, I mean, if anything else, yep. if he would have killed you, can you imagine the heat he would have got? God almighty. Yeah, what a great thing, huh? <laughs> well, would have saved me a lot of money, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think you were around the, for the time whenever Ron Fuller sold Continental. Did, you know, just from a backstage perspective, did things drastically change whenever Ron Fuller sold the company to David Woods? Uh, it did in the sense that Eddie Gilbert became the booker. Um, and obviously Robert, Jimmy, Bob Armstrong, uh, and everybody else who, who were co-owners didn't, uh, didn't appreciate it very much because then they were, you know, they sold part of their business now. So uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was it was a little different. She also had Paul Heyman coming in uh, to help Eddie, and, and it was a different vibe. But I mean, it wasn't a bad vibe for, for again a young guy being there and and wanting to wrestle all the time because Eddie had a wrestling mind and Eddie wanted to uh, to be aggressive. In fact, the angle with White Boy hanging me was. Uh, our idea actually we presented it to Eddie uh, because I had actually seen an angle with uh, Nick Bockwinkle in El Paso against a guy named the Hangman who who had a match on TV one night. Excuse me, and uh, and started taking the the news to this uh, to his opponent. And Nick Bockwinkle came in the ring to break it up, and then the Hangman put the noose around Bockwinkle's neck and beeled him from corner to corner. And it just looked brutal, so I suggested that. And then we, we kind of added the handcuffs and the dragging and, and the black eye to Kim. He was doing along. But, uh, so, I mean, there was a different a different mood in the sense that, uh, you know, Eddie was trying to be a little more aggressive and a little more uh, daring, I guess, and um, in that sense, you know. But, but for the most part, it was, uh, it was a pretty good 
five, and uh, everybody was on board. Right. You wrestled in USWA in Texas and was part of a group with Tojo Yamamoto, Eric Embry, and Steve Austin. Now, I know you probably get the Steve Austin thing a lot, but we want to know what it was like because, like I said, we're from the South. We want to know what it was like teaming with Eric Embry and Tojo. I, once again, you know, Embry came in, and uh, I knew his, his, his history in Texas. And, of course, he was booking in Memphis, too. Um, and we would ride down to, to uh, Dallas every Thursday night after a spot show. We'd, we'd, Jerry Jarrett had a tour bus for us, and we'd all get on the bus and ride into uh, uh, Dallas at the Sportatorium on Friday morning, and the baby faces would go train at the gym. The heels would either <laughs> hang out and sleep or uh, find some other nefarious ways to spend their time. Um, so Tojo was great. Uh, Eric at that time was, was a very good guy to me too. He didn't have to put me with him. And I think he knew it'd be better to, to have me, uh, you know, pissing inside the tent and pissing outside the tent. So <laughs> he brought me in and, uh, uh, I was glad of that. Austin, you always knew there was something special about him, but again, uh, I don't think anybody could have told you he would have been as big a star as he became at that time. We, we knew he was special because he had that dedication and that, that passion to get better. So uh, uh, in that sense, you knew it. Uh, Eric was, like I said, to me, he's always decent. And so was Tojo. Well, one of my favorite feuds all time in wrestling was the Tennessee versus Texas thing in, in you know, USWA. I mean, that was a crucial time just in my youth because, I mean, that was a time where I was like a – Super duper fan. Yeah. Every Saturday morning, I got to set an alarm to wake up and you know watch what's happening at ten a.m. You and Eric Embry were the top heels in the Texas bunch at that time. Now, just on the concept of Tennessee versus Texas, I mean, who came up with all that? Uh, that was Eric, man. I mean, Eric wanted to do the. Uh, you know, he he was from Kentucky originally, but I think he adopted Texas as his home state because it's so much better and bigger. Uh, but also, <laughs> I think he just loves the folklore of Texas, you know. So that was an Eric Embry uh, idea all the way, which was good because, you know, again, you had these loudmouth uh, Texans talking, and you had a bunch of uh, Tennessee people, you know, like Tony Anthony's very, very pro Tennessee. So was Eddie Gilbert. So was uh, everybody else, man. So I mean, that made it that much better. And um, anytime you have a rivalry like that, you know, like Tennessee and Alabama, it's just something that uh, the more you rub it in somebody's face, the better it is. And, and that was uh, the way we did it. So we had a good time doing it too. Again, you know, we were we were doing stuff like. Uh, I mean, we would bleed almost every single night, and that got a little, uh, a little old. But at the same time, it just goes back to that uh, dedication and knowing this is what you got into, and if this is what it takes to to make people either believe or or, or leave with a good show, then that's what we're going to do. So it, it was uh, it was a cool thing to have happen. Well, definitely, uh, you know, just just speaking. Just freely. I mean, whenever you and Eric Embry and Tojo and all them were out there, I mean, you know, as a kid, you kind of just half-ass pay attention to certain things. But whenever it was, you know, you and Eric, say Miss Texas and Tojo, 
it was time to pay attention. You know, I mean, you guys, your your promo skills as a heel, you know, it really related to me. I mean, I I fully believed in what you were saying. You know, and Monday night, that was the reckoning point. Well, once again, I, I, I feel like we believed what we were saying, too, and that's all part of it. And that's, that's part of the thing. Nobody wrote promos for us. We just knew who we were going to work with that night. And you went out, and you got to have fun saying what you, you normally wouldn't say and, uh, and get people mad. So if we did that, that was great. And sometimes uh, it worked, sometimes it didn't. But for the most part, we got to go out and, and live our dream and have that, uh, have that good time working with our friends and going out and, and doing what we love to do, which was uh, I, I love being a heel because I'm more of a natural heel. I don't like people. and I, <laughs> uh, Being a baby face was just fine, but it's, it's, it's so much more fun to go out and just rag on somebody or, or or just say something you may not mean, but just say it like you do mean it. And that's that, that was what Terry Funk did. That's what uh, uh, Walker McDaniel did. That's what uh, Jerry Lawler did. My God, talk about Memphis. Jerry Lawler yeah. would go out there and he would say what he meant and meant what he said. And, of course, he was an owner, but, I mean, Lawler was a, one of the greatest promo guys ever. Uh, so, yeah, man, every time we went out... Um, we were just having fun and saying saying things because we knew that the Tennessee fans didn't like it. <laughs> that was fun. Well, you know, you brought up Miss Texas, Josh. Um, whose idea, Doctor Tom? Whose idea was it to shave Miss Texas's head? And what was her what was her thinking when it was pitched to her? Well, I you know that was all Eric uh, because Eric was booking obviously. So I mean, Eric came up with the ideas, and I, quite honestly, man, I was just happy to. <laughs> to have him come with ideas and say, hey, let's try this, because I wasn't going to say no to anything. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, man, I, she, was, she was obviously on board with it because she did it. Um, right. So, you know, you got to give her credit for that, too, because she, she was a trooper the whole way. Now, you also mentioned Lawler, and, you know, you worked for a little bit for his territory with the Jarrett's in Memphis. What was the locker room like at the time? I know, you know, you hear stories of people being upset at Lawler when he finally come to WWE, and that's a whole different topic. But what was the locker room attitude like uh, in the back uh, at Memphis, in the Memphis Territory? When, when Lawler went to WWE? Oh, no, no, no. What was it like when you were there, when you first came to Memphis? What was the locker room like? Oh, oh well, you know, I, I had been to Memphis, I think, maybe three or four different occasions. You know, and the last time was with Eric, uh, where I got to work with Jeff Jarrett and, and really got to kind of uh, – I was a little more comfortable the first couple times, man. I just I I really didn't care for Lawler. I didn't care for uh, the politics. I didn't care for the vibe. And, and lo and behold, guess what? There's politics in life. Politics everywhere. Right. So um, I just wasn't uh, in the, in the frame of mind I should have been in uh, to to be around that and understand that. If you were in Lawler's clique and in Lawler's uh, plans as a booker, then you were fine. But I wasn't. And uh, I wasn't in the click, and I wasn't in his plans. So I mean, that I'm sure uh, uh, made things a little bit difficult for everybody on my part. You know, right. as far as Lawler and me getting along, the first couple times I was there. But these, the last time I was there, we we worked together a few times, and uh, I think I had learned uh, what I needed to learn that it's all the work, especially backstage. You know, and that's. <laughs> That's when I learned how to just uh, play the game. 
but it was it was a cool vibe backstage, man. It was for the most part. You know, there was there's always going to be unrest and people who aren't happy about uh, uh, their payoffs or aren't happy about an angle or, or being involved or something like that. But but that's that's everywhere you go. But Memphis uh, again, not a bad place to be at that time. Yeah, and we uh, actually not me and Josh, but I wrestled for a little while and worked with uh, Lawler on his last run with uh, his Memphis company. Uh, I, get, I think it folded in 2008. He, he called it quits. But, uh, but yeah, you know, he had his favorites. And he, ha- he actually, I think he liked us because we were just these big, tall, white guys that were bald that looked like just we were ugly, so we were heels. So he, he actually liked us. So he booked us in some great angles and stuff um, at the time. But you could tell the ones – you could tell when he was booking and when Corey was booking because it was like right. it was like a flip, and I imagine that was the way it was when him and Jarrett used to swap back and forth. Of course, man, and that's that's just the way it is. Um, I mean, every booker's going to have the guys they like, and that's the way it works. I mean, you have to. That's the the real work is backstage. You know, the in ring stuff is 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 really just about ten percent of what this is about, and uh, learning how to get in with the right guys backstage and, and who makes the decisions is how you. Uh, is how you measure yourself as a great worker, and that's uh, that's something I learned later on. And and once I started coaching and teaching people and, and learning how the office works, uh, you know, a little more uh, intimate level, um, it helped me out. You know, I, I wish I would have learned that earlier in my career, earlier in life, but I didn't. So, uh, yeah, man, that, that that's just that's just a fact of life. Everywhere you go, right. Well, it was the summer of 91 when you wrestled in some of the Wing Promotions' first shows in Japan. Uh, who got you booked on these shows? You know, uh, that was, I can't remember his name, but I knew him. He was a magazine writer, Igobari or something like that. Mickey, I think, was his name. And... Uh, Eddie got Eddie was on the show. Ed Danny was on the show. I think so was Gypsy Joe, Savio Vega, of all the guys. Yeah, that uh, it was one of the magazine writer guys, and I can't remember his name right now. It's it's been a while back, and I've had a few hits there. <laughs> right. Well, I think that was wasn't that uh, Victor Quinones's uh, promotion? If so, I mean, it was. How how was he working? You know, just just working for. Oh, uh, Victor was good. I mean, Victor was always good to us, too. Um, I, I met Victor, oh, man, through the years. Um, in different places, he would show up, and uh, I always got along with him. Um, and when we went over there, he was managing the uh, headhunters, I believe, or the, uh, not the headhunters, the, uh, the, the guys from the Dominican Republic, bald-headed guys. Yeah, real, real big guys. That was the uh, headhunter A and B. Okay, then it was a headhunter. Yeah, <laughs> and, and yeah, so we he was managing those guys, and he was over there. But I mean, uh, Victor was good. Victor was uh, always good to us, you know. Um, and that goes back to getting along with people and, and having him want want you to be there, um, and he did. So we got along great. I think that was Gorilla Monsoon's stepson or something like that. Ah, something like that, man. Or they were very close. Maybe it was his godson. Something yeah, some, like that. Something yeah. along that. Well, not but saying... But you'll find a lot in the business. You'll find a lot, 
a lot of guys, hey, miss, my godfather hates, my, my uncle hates, my nephew, that kind of stuff, you know. Right. For years, I had no clue Larry Zabisco was kin to uh, Vern Gagne, you know, and then you hear, you know, when everybody started doing the interviews and stuff, you're like, oh, he's part of the family. Of course. You know, how do you think you got the title? I mean, <laughs> you know, Larry, Zabisco was good, but, uh, you know, uh, when everybody started deserting Vern, I mean, uh, who are you going to put it on your <laughs> Your uh, son-in-law, I think, is the best guy because he's not going to leave the territory. Well, DJ Peterson, I mean, who who else was they working <laughs> as right. main events? <laughs> yeah, that'd Which, be a good choice. You know, he had a good look and everything like that, but, you know, uh, come to but promote But he's not family. He's, he, he's uh, you know, he, he can't guarantee that he won't leave with the belt like Hanson did. Right, right. Well, um, in Smoky Mountain Wrestling, you teamed with Stan Lane and then later on Jimmy Del Rey as part of the Heavenly Bodies. Uh, you guys wrestled um, pretty much all of their babyface tag teams. I know the Rock and Roll Express, but one of the uh, stories in Chris Jericho's book is about working with you guys the night he broke his arm. Do you remember anything? It was He broke it in training before the actual match. Do you remember anything about that match? I just remember that we had done uh, four weeks of promos prior to that match, and uh, Chris went out to, he said he was going to practice the shooting star press, and Cornette jokingly said, well, just don't hurt yourself, and lo and behold, right. uh, he did, I think, I don't know who it was who came back and told uh, Cornette that uh, Jericho broke his arm. Jimmy thought he was kidding. Well, Chris had gone to the hospital, and um, he put it in a cast, but then he came back, and Jim was just so pissed off because he had all these, he had an angle laid out for the next month, and and all these problems in the can, and he didn't want to, uh, didn't want to waste it. I know, yes, he was concerned about Chris, and no doubt right. about it. But at the same time, he needed this, he needed this match to happen because the story was that you know Chris was going to bleed, and and uh, uh, against all odds, the referee's going to call it off, and uh, and then Chris pins one of us. Well, that's what happened, but during the match, you know, he's fighting with one arm, and I know he's in pain, and uh, he'd taken a bunch of aspirin to make the blood come, too, and uh, I, just, I just remember we got an ungodly amount of juice on him. It's all over the referee's shirt. It's over the, the, the ring, the turnbuckles, everything, and he, he fought. You know, he did a hell of a job, especially with a broken arm. Right. We did our best to take care of him, obviously, but... Uh, uh, you know, I'll give it to him because he could have said, no, I can't do it. But he did. He, he gutted it out, and I think he earned uh, everybody's respect that night. You know, so. And I remember it being a hell of a match, too. Right. Now, uh, Jericho also talks about in his book about how everywhere he went, everybody just assumed Lance was going to be the guy that blossomed and blew up, and Jericho was well, he was good, but Lance was just better. Uh, did did right. you guys think that when you saw him? It's like, oh, Lance is going to be the guy that eventually – you know, rockets up to the moon with this, and Chris is going to be good. No, no, and, and usually I, I believe that is uh, how tight teams are thought of. You know, one guy's going to shine through, and, and uh, you're going to have a Marty or Sean moment, I guess, if you want to describe it that way. But uh, no, I don't think we saw Jericho as the, uh, or Lance as a shining star in that team, or, or Jericho uh, either way. I mean, you knew Chris had charisma. Lance was very, very good. Lance is great. Um, but I don't think there was any, any time during that time uh, where we said, you know, Chris or, or uh, 
Lance is going to be the, the star of the team. I don't think that was the case whatsoever. Well, at least on at least let me do this. At least on my part, I can't speak for anybody else's way. I think, right. but I, I look at them both as a great team. You know, together as a great team. Right. Well, not saying that one is better than the other. Just what was your preference in a partner? Would it be Sweet Stan Lane or Gigolo Jimmy Del Rey? Well, here's the deal. Um, you know, Stan was so easy to get along with. Um, and he, when, when we would walk in somewhere, um, and I went out with Stan just, just a couple times, you know, because we, we, Stan was a little older than I, and, uh, uh, he was living in Charlotte at the time. And there was just a few times when he stayed over and we did go to go out a couple times. And Stan was one of those guys who walked in, you know, he, he didn't make a loud noise. He just kind of. We went over to the bar or to a table, whoever it may be, and, and saw what gravitated towards us. Um, he was a little laid back, and also when he got, but when he got going, he got going. He was funny, he was entertaining, he was charming. You could uh, uh, mix into a crowd pretty good. And Jimmy was was just the opposite. When we went in, uh, <laughs> Jimmy wanted to make sure everybody knew we were there, and he he made a little loud noise, and he come in with that one tooth missing and uh, uh, you know, probably just smoked a cigarette, smelled like cigarettes and, and then you know, ordered beer or whiskey or whatever it may be and then, hey honey, how you doing? Hey, hey sugar, hey hey sweetheart, hey babe, you know, that kind of stuff. And, okay, yeah, and that's fine if it's if it's the right time, but you know, he just, he just dove in and that's good to a point, but um, we were just two different people. I, I prefer to come in and kind of kind of ease into the into the situation and kind of see what kind of map out the lay of the land and see what was going on here in that corner and that corner over there and this little part of section here. And Jimmy would just be all over the place, man. Just kind of like a uh, uh, not a wrecking ball man, but he like just let you know that he was there. And he didn't and he didn't always endear himself to everybody. You know, like I said, sometimes the waitress was. Would look at him like, "Who the hell are you?" And then you say, "Well, hey, that bitch is being stuck up." So, no, Jimmy, just leave it alone. Stop, you know. And 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 he couldn't leave it alone. Right. So you know, but I I like they were both um, different guys, and uh, you know, I saw Jimmy in August. You know, he died in December. Right. Oh, three years ago, I guess four years ago. Um, and in August, we we talked in Charlotte and reconciled, and you know, I explained, yeah, I had my issues going on too, and we both had issues going on, but we just kind of said, out of hell with it, man. And, um, glad everybody lived through what we lived through, and then you know, come December, he passed away. Wow. So, uh, Stan, I loved his partner; he was great. You know, then then when he he left because of, you know Stan had already been through the uh, pioneering days and. And it wasn't as fun for him anymore. So when Jimmy came on board, everybody uh, couldn't say anything about his work in the ring. He was tremendous in the ring. But, right. but sometimes his backstage demeanor and, and out in public demeanor didn't always uh, die, you know? Right. Well, you know, I still remember that float over uh, DDT that he used to do. It was a thing of beauty. I mean, I, like I said, it was just one of those just smooth. The Rock tried to do it a few times, too, and I think he kind of – got more of the play for it but when i'd see him do uh, jimmy del rey do that float over ddt it was just a thing of beauty man 
Yeah, Jimmy was a great worker. Like I said, he, he really knew his way around the ring, and he could do some tremendous stuff. There's no, can't say one thing about his work, man. He was, he right. was great. Uh, he was a lot more versatile than Stan was in that regard. Uh, but it was two different personalities and two different uh, styles, too. So, um, you know, he was he was good in the sense that he would do stuff that uh, would just get obnoxious heat, and and that was great in the ring. You know, I mean, he really he really was tremendous. He's a tremendous partner, you know, inside the ring. But once we got in back at that time, you know, there was there was, there was a couple things that happened where. I finally said, Jimmy, we're just going to go our separate ways. You travel with uh, your partner. I'll travel with uh, whoever I got. If it's somebody, if it's if it's by myself, I can't I can't do this anymore. Right. It, was, it was wearing on my uh, my health, my mental health <laughs> as well as my physical health. Man, I right. couldn't do it. Right. Well, why was the Heavenly Bodies stay in WCW so short? Well, because. Watts, the deal was, so we were going to come in and do a, an angle with Watts, but, but Bill got let go or quit. And uh, WWF at that time, uh, the real story is they wanted Cornette to be a spokesman for Yokozuna. You know, he had Fuji, but Fuji was, you know, kind of getting up on, in age and right. wasn't cutting the greatest promos these days, or those days. And uh, anyway, they called us and said, Asked us if you'd like to come in for SummerSlam against the Steiners and maybe have Smoky Mountain start out as a, uh, a developmental territory. And uh, otherwise, we would, have, we would have done the deal in WCW a little longer, but I think the deal with Watts uh, ended, and that kind of ended, because that's the only reason Jim would go in, because Watts was, was part of it. Gotcha. Well, after Smoky Mountain went out of business, uh, you guys did some matches with ECW. Now, I, I just saw this in research. I don't even remember it happening, and I was one of those guys that followed ECW and all the other promotions, but I found this in the research. You guys did some matches for ECW. Uh, who was the person that brought yeah. you in, and what was the crowd like in ECW? Well, here's the thing. Um, we only did a couple shots in ECW, but uh, Paul wanted to bring us in as a uh, – surprise, I can't remember exactly the reason for that right now, but uh, we were going to come in and, and like an invasion from WWF at that time. Right. And I remember um, we went to the ECW arena the very first time and uh, oh god, this was 90, god, 93, 94, whatever it was mm -hmm. and I, I just I remember walking in and somebody grabbed me and said, come with me. And I, for some reason, I think, it, uh, you know, I've been in the, I have been in the arena since ECW. And, and I don't, I, I didn't see it downstairs, but I could have sworn that somebody took me downstairs somewhere. And then I looked around and Sandman was doing his thing over there. And then Mustafa was doing his thing over here. And then you had somebody else doing their thing over here. And they said, come here, let me show you this. And I went over here and I did that and I went over there and I did this and I went over here and I did that again and I went, Oh Christ, this is great. You know, it was just that kind of it was that kind of dressing room where everybody was doing their thing but everybody seemed to be uh geared towards going out there and just blowing the place out, man. And and we did that uh a couple times, man. And last I think the last time 
I did an ECW show there was when I worked with Chris mm-hmm. in a singles match. But yeah, man, we 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 it just kind of ended up with uh, Paul wanting to do a deal with um, with some guys from WWF and Bruce or, or yeah, that'd be Bruce. We kind of worked it out and had us going in. Plus, I think it was also to get Jimmy and Paul together and kind of. Uh, uh, you get on the same page because right. they, they're two really brilliant minds, and I think uh, that might have been an ulterior motive. That's just my opinion. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, both of those guys. It's one of the uh, you know you you know that there's heat between them, but you're like, man, if they could ever like get along, get on the same page, and run a wrestling promotion, it would be probably the most entertaining thing in the world. Well, it's been said well, before, it but would, it would. But at the same time, you know, it's just like when. Uh, and, and, and Cornette said this the other day, I heard it somewhere, uh, when Bill Watts came to you know, New York to work with Vince, uh, he left there too telling Vince that uh, there can only be one Titan in Titan sports and, and you know, nobody's going to top Vince. So right. the same thing with Paul and, and Cornette. There has to be one guy with one voice, with one decision, and, and that had, they had to work. And I don't know if they could ever do that, but right. I think eventually they... They they came to respect each other and 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 know that uh, uh, they both have brilliant ideas at times and they they have to know when to uh, uh, when to be able to work with others and I think they both kind of mellowed over the years. I could be wrong. That's just my opinion. <laughs> well, it's been said before, you know, but I truly see the parallels. I mean, it, it's kind of like Paul E. and Jim Cornette. They're kind of one and the same. One's just kind of a... One's a, from the north and one's from the south. Right, a Yankee and, and a okay, southern, southern version. North. It's pretty much the only difference. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, Paul has uh, has tremendous ideas uh, and, and still very highly regarded, as is Jimmy. I mean, even though Jim is... Uh, he has his... His ideas about the way the business should be, and and I think he has some some great points. I I do know that uh, the business has changed, and you can't we, we can't go back in time and make it what it used to be. Right. As much as some of us would love to have it the way it used to be, it just it can't. It's time has moved on, things evolve, business evolves, and uh, so do sports and and. Uh, everything, man. So, uh, yeah, if they could get on the same page, yeah, it would be great, and they'd probably want a great business. But just you have to understand that change happens. Right. Well, just speaking on that plane, I mean, do you think that there will ever be a point to where they can kind of go back to where people kind of believe, you know, more so than what they do now, I mean, or is it just, you know, that has it's the, out of the box right. and has it'll the bell never been be rung? Back. Has the bell been rung and you can't unring that bell? Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. I think the only guy that really has that element of uh, danger and, and uh, that element of uh, realism to him is Brock Lesnar. Right. In, in the fact that Brock uh, is a legit badass, but here's the thing. Brock really is a businessman. Brock understands um, that there are people out there that really want to believe, and he will do everything in his power to make you believe. Even the guy he's working with knows it's coming. I mean, he's 
He's gonna he's gonna hit you with those elbows. He's gonna hit you with the forearms. He's gonna hit you with the suplexes. He's gonna do it. You're gonna you'll feel it. But he's gonna do it. They'll be solid, but he won't be stiff. The difference between solid and stiff. Solid, you're you're gonna feel it. Stiff is is gonna hurt you. And eventually, sometimes Brock can be stiff, and at times. He means to be stiff, and you know it's coming. In other words, the times he's cut the guy, cut Lesnar open or cut uh, Roman Reigns open and uh, Randy, I, they knew it was coming, um, and they accepted it. That's part of being a pro. You're going to get, uh, like you said, it ain't ballet. Right. And a little blood here and there, uh, in my opinion, is pretty good. Too much blood is too much blood. Okay, I get it. We have to be... Um, less barbaric than we once were. But to go back and to have it like it used to be, the problem is you have MMA, you have UFC, you have all these other avenues people can look at to see a real fight. And that's what professional wrestling used to be billed as, a real fight. You know, Brass Knucks champion and Texas Deathmatch and things like that. Now, um, you know, it's already been told, hey, it's a work, hey, we're not going to insult your intelligence and... uh, and you have the internet, and you have cable TV, so it's kind of hard to say, hey, this is the baddest guy in the world when you're looking on TV saying, well, wait a minute, this is the baddest guy in the world. Right. <laughs> you know, so, you know, it used to be, you used to be able to see Jerry Lawler in Memphis and say, man, he's a badass. Now you look at New York and you say, wait a minute, well, Hulk Hogan was a badass. Hulk Hogan's a world champion. Well, that that's the problem. I mean, we, we're a global... Uh, society, and, and you, in, in an instant, you can find out what's happening on the other side of the world. So that's why we really can't go back to um, presenting it as all real, even though, even though there will be some who, you know, growing up or watching, they say, ah, yeah, that that was real, and that wasn't supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. We'll never know, and that's what the the real part about. Uh, professional wrestling in my opinion is is keeping that mystery you're keeping a little bit of mystery about you and uh giving giving the fans uh something special to watch instead of just a choreographed routine and that's 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 the balancing act everybody finds themselves uh in today is trying to make it where what can we do to make people watch and come out to the show. WWE's drawing tremendous house shows. I've heard this from a lot of people. The TV ratings don't mean really anything anymore. They already signed a billion a billion dollar deal with Fox Sports. Whether it's a low end station, no matter what it is, they're making billions of dollars, and that's the bottom line about making money. So the ratings don't mean anything anymore because. People really don't watch TV like they used to. They watch it on their device, their tablets, their phones. Right. Or they'll watch something whenever they want to watch it. Um, and they'll watch it for different reasons than what we used to watch it for. They're not watching because they think it's real and they want to see what's going to happen next week. They watch it for the entertainment aspect of it or to see what's going to happen and, and if something grabs them. So can it ever go back to the way it was where people think, eh, the only guy I see right now doing that is Lesnar. Right. And he's not on all the time, which is good. Don't overexpose him. And uh, that's it, in my opinion, for right now, anyway. Right. Well, in 1995, you were a team with Chris Candido as part of Body Donna's in WWE. 
now, I, I assume that you, you liked working with Chris, but what was your relationship like with Chris? And who was it that gave you the call? And what did you think when they called and said, hey, we want you to change your look? Uh, well, I said, absolutely not. They said, yeah, okay. And they hung up on me. And I thought, well, wait a minute. That wasn't where it was supposed to go. <laughs> See, what happened, I loved working with Chris. Uh, what happened was they, they were done with us in New York as heavenly bodies, and I understood that. Right. Um, but, you know, I didn't want to go work on the independence. I, I didn't, didn't, there was nowhere else to work. So uh, I happen to say to somebody, look, if there's anything that comes up, just I'd love to do anything. Well, my phone rang a little, about an hour later and said, okay, uh, how about, would you like to cut your hair, you know, crew cut, dye it blonde, and uh, come in as a body donna? I said, fuck, absolutely not. I said, okay, see you. I don't know. Well, wait a minute. Um, I called him back and says, well, yeah, wouldn't mind doing that. Uh, well, of course I did. I, I, Hershey, Pennsylvania, I was waiting, uh, got there early, and, and I kept thinking of a way to get out of it, way to get out of it. Nothing came to mind, and then they took me to uh, get my hair cut and uh, dye it blonde, and I hated it. I loved Chris, loved working with Chris, but I had known Tammy since Smoky Mountain, and, um, you know, she was a cute little girl. Still a teenager, I guess, going to college. But she knew she was this hot little girl that everybody looked at and thought, oh, wow, she's hot. And she knew it, and she used it. And um, I saw the way she treated Chris and the way she, she treated him backstage and on road I only rode with him one time, one time, and that, took, that was enough because it was just it was horrible the whole way. I mean, it really was nonstop bitching the whole way, and I couldn't take it. Right. So, uh, yeah, so again, that was one of those other things. I rode by myself and rode with other people. And met Chris and Tammy at the uh, at the arena, you know. And but man, it was uh, not one of my favorite moments in life. And then when they took Tammy away from us and put Cloudy with us. I mean, I'll never forget when Vince told us that, and Chris said, that's the stupidest idea ever heard. <laughs> and at the time, I just, I wasn't going to say anything because I needed the gig. And I, I didn't know, I didn't know how else to get out of it. And I didn't say one thing, and I should have. It was terrible, it was a horrible idea. And I, I could see they were burying us, and, and it was just a miserable time in my life. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's probably one of my biggest pet peeves, and you've probably seen it more than I did. Uh, we had a, a female that came in that had that same mentality, uh, and actually she just made the news. I won't say her name, but she just made the news in, within the last year of having a problem. And, you know, to watch somebody that comes in training, they're going through and they're getting all these opportunities because of their looks, fine. But to know that they're not willing to put the work in, and actually get in there and train when we're supposed to set up the ring with us while we're setting up the ring. Those little things like that, to you, does that make you as angry as it did me? Um, what makes me angry is somebody who's given an opportunity and doesn't appreciate it and doesn't really uh, want it. Uh, they just feel they're entitled. That, that gets me a little, uh, 
perturbed. It does. Uh, the thing with Tammy was just lack of respect for her boyfriend slash fiance, whatever you want to call him. Right. Uh, to talk to him the way she did around the boys, the way she did around the office, the way she did, period, just around anybody was. Uh, uh, Chris took it because he took it. Why? I couldn't tell. Well, yeah, I couldn't tell you because it's kind of that Stockholm syndrome. You know, you right. don't know anything else. And, yeah, it does make me angry when people are given an opportunity and they don't appreciate it and don't, don't recognize it. Um, you know, I don't expect uh, a female to put up the ring. I don't expect it. But I, if they at least offer or if they at least offer to do something, I've seen girls. I mean, we had, we had girls in FCW who helped with the ring. Right. Didn't have to, but they did, and they put forth the effort. So, you know... I I do come from the old school. I believe in paying dues. I do. But at the same time, I do understand this is a new day and age. We can't always hold our values in compared to others. Uh, does that make it right? I don't know. Does it, does it make it different? Of course. Um, and and I, I just I just don't I don't appreciate it when somebody gets something. Uh, especially in this business, and they don't recognize it as an opportunity, and they don't appreciate it and kind of piss it away. Right. I mean, here you are cutting your hair with a buzz cut and dyeing it blonde for the opportunity, and they're getting it handed to them, and they're throwing it away. It, it's it's really sickening on my part, especially if it's like a big promotion that's giving you that opportunity. Well, yeah, but at the same time, it goes back to knowing about the bookers and, and the guys making decisions. It's just that's that's really just – the way it is, that's not just wrestling, it's in life, man. And you find that out as you go along. Uh, it's not always fair, not always right, but it's just you learn as you live. Sometimes life ain't fair, man. Right. It just happens that way, and uh, it's up to you to make your breaks because nobody else is going to make them for you. You have to fight for it, and if you don't fight for it, you can't expect anybody else to. Right. Well, I know we've held you about an hour here, and we have two more questions if you've got time for it. Sure. Okay. Um, I was a big fan of Bite This on WWE.com with you and Josh Matthews, and it seemed like you guys had really good chemistry. Did you guys get along in real life, and how much freedom did you guys have to actually talk about things on there? Like, you guys kind of went deep with some things that weren't storylines that were more real life. How much freedom did you ha you guys have to talk about things like that? Well, we, we had a lot of freedom, man. And Kevin Kelly was on there later with us, yeah. too. Uh, yeah, we, we had a lot of freedom to, to go ahead and talk about it, and that was the idea behind Bike This. We were going to go ahead and hit the Internet with it and and talk about stuff other than storylines. And uh, that's that was the premise. And then as we got into it even more, you know, Kevin Kelly, uh, I believe, came on after Josh, and that's, that's how it was. I mean, um, so, yeah, we, we, we pretty much were able to talk about whatever we wanted because I don't think – they really believed anybody was watching it. <laughs> yeah, it was the internet right. thing. Yeah, they didn't know how much internet people watched uh, internet shows. Um, right. They're finding that out now. Yeah. It's obviously it's grown and got a, got a lot bigger. Got a, lot, got a little bit bigger since then. <laughs> yeah. And Josh Matthews, what was your uh, thoughts on him? He was coming from Tough Enough. I actually met him like in the mall in Nashville one day. Really cool guy, laid back. How was he to work with back then? He was still really young. No, nah, he was a good guy, man. He was a good kid. He he, he understood what he got into. I, I felt that he did, and I think Al Snow 
pretty much smartened him up and toughened him up a little bit before he got on there. You know, he obviously wanted to wrestle, and when he got put in the position he was put into, he took it and made the best of it. Right. So, you know, he was, he was a very good guy. Well, without putting anybody on trial here or, you know, naming specifics or anything, what would you say would be, like, one of the better ribs that you've either been a part of or had the pleasure of hearing guys tell stories of? Wow. Um, well, man, uh, you know what I'm saying? You're right, trying not to put anybody on trial or name a name. One of the, one of the, I mean, I was I was not a big fan of ribbing anybody because it just it really didn't make any sense. It was hard enough on the road, and uh, you know, for somebody to to be ribbed, it wasn't it wasn't always nice. Uh, but but I, I remember somebody one time uh, was on crutches and he got a sandwich from Subway, and it was one of those really. Uh, stinky vinegar sauce, uh, onions, and just a horrible smelling sandwich. <laughs> and somebody took his crutches and hit him, and also somebody took the sandwich and went in the bathroom and sprinkled it with uh, some uh, poo powder, if you will, <laughs> and put it back and, and gave it back, and we watched him eat it. Ugh. And it was down terrible thing to do, but I mean, that was the worst one I've seen. Uh, um, you know, the other, yeah, there, there's a lot of things through the years, man, that I, I either put out of my head or just totally got to forget. Right. You know, that's, that's another one where, where somebody actually, just this, that happened actually somewhere here in Tennessee, where somebody had, uh, had a wet fart in their underwear <laughs> and they exchanged underwear with when the guy was in the ring put that in, in his back and took his the guy didn't even notice it man it was the same everything it was the weirdest thing and it was the stupidest thing but he put them on didn't notice anything we all went oh my god this is too much but yeah I mean the other stuff I mean again you know, it sounds crazy, but statute of limitations. <laughs> right. Well, man, we have held you on here for about an hour. Um, do you have anything you want to promote? Anything you want, like Twitter, Facebook, uh, any events coming up, anything like that? Well, uh, I am on Twitter at Dr. Tom Pritchard, and uh, on Facebook, uh, just go to Tom Pritchard, it's P R I C H A R D. And uh, just be watching out because um, we are getting ready to announce uh, some plans. I can't, I'm not at liberty to say anything yet. Right. Uh, but by January of next year, we should be having uh, a, a major announcement uh, happening here in Knoxville, Tennessee. So uh, just be watching Twitter and Facebook and uh, be ready for some big plans and big announcements happening next year. Well, like I said, he has been everywhere. He's a wrestling superstar, a training superstar. We didn't even cover half the questions that we have here. So sometime we're going to have to have you back on. But, Dr. Tom, thank you for being a part of P3 Radio today. It's been an honor talking with you. 
Well, thank you very much. You have my number. If you want me back, just give me a call. Let me know when, guys. I appreciate it. When you go shopping for wine, do you look at the labels? Do you stare at the price and wonder if the wine is worth the expensive tag? Well, stop it, because Wine of the Month Club has you covered. Every month, Wine of the Month Club is going to send you two bottles of high-quality wine right to your front door. And what better way to say I'm thinking of you than a subscription to the original Wine of the Month Club for a friend or a sweetheart. Each month, they'll be reminded of your thoughtfulness and will receive the monthly wine letter and newsletter binder. Recipes, wine knowledge, and great wine, and the opportunity to get more of their favorites is at hand. Give with confidence and joy, knowing that you're a part of the original Wine of the Month Club. By the way, there are no dues, no fees, no hidden charges. Cancel any time with no obligation. Just pay no more than $23.96 plus shipping for two great bottles of wine. Go there now. Sign up by visiting our link, tinyurl.com slash p3wine. That's tinyurl.com slash p3wine. The Wine of the Month Club, the original wine club since 1972. Well, the sound of that song means we've reached the end of today's episode of P3 Radio. We'd like to thank Dr. Tom once again for dropping by and talking to us. And if you want to follow us on Facebook, Josh, where do they go to do that? Go to your search bar, type in Pop Poncho, you're bound to see our picture. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, P3 Radio, the number one. And of course, our email is p3radio1 at gmail.com. Or you can send us a text message or a voicemail at 731 731- 300-6675. And as always, please go back and check out some of our archives with guys like Bill Dundee, Pete Gass, Headbanger Mosh. Conrad was, Thompson. Was not on the show. Headbanger the, Thrasher was on the show. Uh, Headbanger also, Mosh, <laughs> he's in there somewhere. He's there. I don't know why you're not finding him. Yeah, I mean, maybe you should look harder. This is more on you. Maybe you should contact skills. Headbanger Thrasher. Yes. And just ask him, can we get Headbanger Marsh on the show? <laughs> that way, whenever we say that, it will be It'll legit. It'll be accurate, yeah. We also had guys like Brian Christopher, Spellbinder Del Rios. Super Bowl uh, winner Jabari Greer. Yeah, even uh, Olympic gold medalist Summer Sanders. So we've got something there for everybody. The kids will enjoy it. The mom will enjoy it. Maybe not the mom. Maybe not the kids. Maybe not the Good kids. God. <laughs> the language. So maybe just the male demographic, ages... Maybe like 30 to 32. Yeah, there you go. It's not a very strong demographic, but it's our demographic. We'll go back and check out those archives on iTunes by typing in P3 Radio, all one word. You'll find us pop up there. Or you can go on your podcast apps like Podbean, Beyond Pod, wherever. You can type in podcast apps at the Google Play Store and you will find what you need to upload our show. Once again, we'd like to thank Dr. Tom for Josh Brawley. This is Richard Mulligan saying thanks and good night.